today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. God is also able and willing to use even the most humble, insignificant person for His will, for His glory, if they're willing to step out in faith. You might think, I don't have anything to offer. But when God calls, are you willing to step out for such a time as this? The situations that we find ourselves in, they may not be the most pleasant. They, they might be absolutely difficult, uh, stretching us to the maximum of our emotional and our spiritual and maybe even physical stamina and, and abilities. If God were to call you into a difficult situation, would you be willing to go? The task may be more than you are mentally, physically, or spiritually anticipating. In Pastor David's message today, he will encourage you that with God, all things are possible. Even if you think you don't have anything to offer, if you humble yourself before the Lord, He can use you. Perhaps even today, you find yourself worn out from ministry. Come to the Creator of love and ask that He fill you with His perfect love. Now, here's Pastor David in the book of Esther chapter 6 as he continues his message for a time such as this. Haman took the robe and the horse, arrayed Mordecai, and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, thus shall be done for the man with whom the king delights to honor. I'm sure the guy was brokenhearted at this point in time. This is the wrong guy to be on the horse. I ought to be on the horse. But Mordecai is on the horse. Verse 12. Afterwards, Mordecai went back to the king's gate. But Haman hurried on to his own house, mourning and with his head covered, so embarrassed, all through the city square there. He's the one that's hauling Mordecai, calling out, this is the guy whom the king wants to honor. Well, when Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all of his friends everything that had happened to him, his wise men, and I say that tongue in cheek, and his wife Zeresh said to him, if Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. Wow, that is like a word of prophecy coming from your wife and from your buds that says, you're gonna die. End of chapter six. Now it's party time over at Esther's house, okay? There's no good way to summarize chapter seven. It's not too long, so just turn to chapter seven, 
Look at, look at it with me. The drama here is absolutely amazing. I love this story. Chapter seven. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And on the second day, at the banquet of wine, there he is drinking again, okay? The king again said to Esther, what is your petition? Now remember, this is the second party, okay? They've gone through this whole party thing. And what is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Up to half of my kingdom, it shall be done for you. You remember a guy in the New Testament that made a similar statement to that, to his uh, stepdaughter, Salome, that she said, I want the head of John the Baptist, okay? Well, this is a totally different story here, but kind of the ending uh, is uh, very similar. Then Queen Esther, she answered and said, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, Let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed and to be killed and to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. In other words, she's saying, what's going to happen here, king? You're going to lose in the midst of this. Verse 5, so King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, who is he and where is he? Who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? Now, you've got to remember, King Ahasuerus is there and Haman is there at the same time. You've got to understand at this point in time, his color has to be completely gone from his face. His, his eyes probably as, as big as the wine goblets they've been drinking from because he knows that the gig is about up for him at this point in time. Verse six, Esther says, the adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. The adversary is this wicked Haman now is terrified before the king and the queen. Then the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. You need to understand, he's so upset. He's beside himself because he had figured that Haman, his bud, he could trust him. He was a good guy. Now he finds out, no, he's a wicked guy. He's going outside. Now, while he's outside in the garden, we read at that point in time that Haman stood before Queen Esther pleading for his life, for he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. Verse eight, when the king returned from the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine, Haman had literally fallen across the couch pleading with Esther for his very life at this point in time. So the king comes in, here's Esther sitting on the couch, Haman's laying across the couch, not a good sign for him. The king said, will he also assault the queen while I'm in the house? There's nothing going good for this guy at this point in time. As the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. In other words, yeah, 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 at that point in time. 
because they, they just sort of like put a uh, blanket or something over his face and carried him out. They didn't kill him yet at this point in time. Now, Harbonah, that, that's the eunuch that's been friendly to both Esther and Mordecai. Verse nine, Harbonah, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, oh, hey, king, by the way, just outside here, there's a freshly built gallows 50 feet up in the air. By the way, Haman made that for Mordecai. You remember Mordecai, the one who spoke good on the king's behalf. Standing there, that this is gallows, is standing there at the home of Haman. And so the king said, hang him on it. Yay. So they hanged hang Haman. Yeah. On the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. And then the king's wrath subsided. Now the crowd goes wild. Everybody's excited about this. But yet that's not the end of the story. Chapter seven ends well. Chapter eight even begins well. But there's still this big problem. As we get into chapter eight, Mordecai, he's raised up into the position that Haman had occupied. He even received Haman's palace. Now that's Mordecai's palace. And he's able to wear the king's signet ring. Mordecai is. A huge honor, huge responsibility. But now there's also still a big problem. The king's edict that Haman had had him write about killing all of the Jews is still in place. Once a king of the Medes and the Persians uh, makes an edict, seals it with his signet ring, it is irreversible. They cannot change it. So even with Esther being queen, even with Mordecai now being second in command of all the Persian empire, there is still this big problem. And so they go to King Ahasuerus. Now, once the situation is explained to the king, he tells him, okay, that's great. Go figure it out. Write an edict on your own. You have my blessings. You can sign my name on it. You can use my signet ring. Mordecai, you got the signet ring. Just go ahead and do it. So Mordecai then in chapter eight here, he writes out a new edict. Uh, And again, and what it tells the Jews is, is, hey, you need to be ready on such and such a day to defend yourself. And by, by whatever means are available to you. And so the edict was sent out by all the official couriers uh, that the king had going from India all the way to Ethiopia, detailing to the Jews they had the right, according to King Ahasuerus, to permit themselves, as he says here, for the Jews in every city to gather together and protect their lives to destroy, to kill, to annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would assault them, both little children and women, and to plunder their possessions. So in other words, their edict was just like the one that Haman had Artaxerxes. You almost forgot about Haman, didn't you, at this point? So on the day that the enemies of the Jews uh, had for them to go and try and annihilate all of the Jews, a lot of the people within the empire actually sided with the Jews. They said, they're not my enemy, they're my neighbor. 
I'm not going to fight against them. I'm going to stand with them. So there was actually a very small population of the Persians that went against the Jews. And so the Jews and what Persians that were friends of theirs went against these others. Uh, And it says that even the officials of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and all those doing the king's work helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. For Mordecai was great in the king's palace, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For this man, Mordecai, became increasingly prominent. So the Jews were victorious. They defeated, they, they, they killed those that, that had hated them. And that included 10 sons of a fella by the name of Haman. He had 10 sons that they also wiped out at that point in time. Now, yet the battle wasn't completely over. That was simply just one day. Esther then approaches King Ashishurus again, and she asks for an extension of this edict for one more day to completely destroy the enemies of the Jews that were there in the capital city of Sushan. So the king granted her her wish, and so Mordecai and Queen Esther wrote to all the people of the area again, to come against those one more time within the city of Sushan. So now we actually had two days, the 14th and the 15th of the month of Adar, which now became a celebration for all the Jews throughout the land because of God's protection. Look at chapter 9 down in verse 26. Chapter 9, verse 26. So they called these days Purim after the name Pur, and we'll look at that in a moment. Therefore, because of all the words of this letter, what they had seen concerning this matter and what had happened to them, the Jews established and imposed it upon themselves and their descendants and all who had joined them, that without fail they would celebrate these two days every year according to the written instructions and according to the prescribed time that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province, and every city, that these days of Purim should not fail to be observed among the Jews, and that the memory of them should not perish among their descendants. Verse 29, then Queen Esther the daughter of Abihail with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm the second letter about Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ajashurus with words of peace and truth to confirm these days of Purim at their appointed time as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had prescribed for them and as they had decreed for themselves and their descendants concerning the matters of their fasting and lamenting. So the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim as it was written in the book. End of chapter nine. Now, chapter 10, it's only a couple of quick little verses. We can read it or you can look at it later. Uh, In essence, that King Ashishurus imposed tribute on the land and on the islands, all the acts of his power, his might, the account of the greatness of Mordecai to which the king advanced him. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second to King Ashishurus and was great among the Jews, well received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people and speaking peace to all his countrymen. Purim, where in the world do they get a name like that? Comes from P-U-R, 
pure or pur, however you want to pronounce it. There's a few different ways. It meant lots, casting lots, and it stood for the days that depended upon the days that Haman had determined that they were going to kill all the Jews. So they had Purim as as a celebration of that. You can pronounce the name in a lot of different ways. Uh, Eastern tradition, it's called Purim. Among the Westerners, it's often called Purim. Some Central European uh, communities even call it Pirim. We'll go with Purim. Now, the whole story of Esther, the reason I think that we need to remember this story is that first and foremost, you and I need to realize that our God has an absolute intimate involvement in every aspect of all of his creation. And when we look at the situation, how God literally orchestrated all of these things, even in the midst of what you would think would be a bad thing. Esther, did you really want to be the queen of, of a Persian king? Is that really what you wanted in your life? It didn't really matter. She was under his subjection. She was a beautiful woman. God had designed and purposed that all through that time. Even though there were no overt miracles that we see in, in the book of Esther, Yet we see God actively pulling the strings to care for his own nation, for Israel, in the midst of this. God is able to intervene in the life and the politics of even the most powerful nations. You got Kim in North Korea right now, an absolute loco guy. You know, at at, at any moment, at any time, you think he's going to push a button and a hydrogen bomb bigger than anything that the world has ever seen, uh, you know, in wartime. He could be sending, he could be sending that to South Korea, to Japan, to, to the United States at this point in time. He's absolutely wacko. Can God intervene in his life, church? Absolutely, he can. And I believe that even right now, he's holding that nutcase down. Even in our own country, we look at the statements that, that are made by our current president. We look, we look at the actions that are made both by current and past presidents. Can we agree with the things that they do? There's a whole lot of the stuff I don't agree with. But yet I know that even in the midst of all of that, my God is sovereign and he is able to control the situation. God is also able and willing to use even the most humble, insignificant person for his will, for his glory, if they're willing to step out in faith. You might think, I don't have anything to offer. But when God calls, are you willing to step out for such a time as this? The situations that we find ourselves in, they may not be the most pleasant. They they might be absolutely difficult, uh, stretching us to the maximum of our emotional and our spiritual and maybe even physical stamina and, and abilities. But who knows? Rather, you have come to that situation for such a time as this. I think it's absolutely interesting when we look and we find places within the Word of God that are being paralleled with some of the events that are going on in our world today. But when you stop and look, and 
every once in a while, we do need to stop and look. We've got the wacko in North Korea. We've got Hurricane Harvey, which uh, I told the uh, primetime, that is my first name, by the way. H. David, it is Harvey David. So I'm not taking, I'm not taking much pleasure with Harvey at this point in time. We've got Hurricane Harvey. We've got Hurricane Emma. We've got the Pacific Northwest that's on fire. We've got the, the craziness of our nation right now. We've got the world itself that is in such a, a crazy way. But a lot of people, they look and say, oh, these aren't really the end times. These aren't, this, this has gone on time and time before. Well, on one hand, I have to say, yeah, this has gone on time and time before. Events like this have happened before. We've seen some things going on. I'm sure if we were alive during the time, the beginning particularly of like World War II and or World War I, uh, we would be absolutely ready for the, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a whole lot of other things that are in play now that were not in play, World War I, World War II. In particular, there's this little bitty sliver of a country that's located over in the Middle East by the name of Israel that was not a country until 1948. So even with Israel right now the way that it is, and with all the alignments of, again, the craziness of Russia, who knows what Putin is, is, is going to do next at this point in time. It, even in the Middle East, we've got countries over there also that have atomic and hydrogen bombs. And we're talking little unstable countries that just, you know, out of hatred for one another would almost be willing to push the button. And the great fear, the great concern is, is that if one button is pushed, everybody's going to push their buttons. There's so much there that we ought to be, maybe if we're not a full 100% student of prophecy, we ought to at least be interested. We ought to at least have our ears tuned a little bit, saying, Lord, what, what is going on? How, how close are we? Does my friend know Jesus? Does my neighbor have a relationship with you? Lord, what about my brother or my sister or my kids or my parents? If the time is really short, then there ought to be concern within the body of Christ, for those, particularly for those that we love, that they would know Christ. But in reality, I believe it's for everyone around us. Because if these are the last days and if Peter and Paul and even Jesus said back 2,000 years ago is the last days, then these have to be the last of the last days. Then where ought our heart to be? Where ought our focus to be? When we see God's hand working through kings and you know powerful men, and yet he can put them and place them right where he wants them to be. I believe he is more than able and willing to do that even today. Pray for our country. We're praying for the church that our eyes would be open and our hearts would catch fire. Our hearts need to catch fire. Not just warmed. We need to catch fire. And I believe that that comes with each one of our desires to be caught on fire for the things of the Lord. 
Surprisingly and sadly, too many followers of Jesus are Bible illiterate. They know a few basic names or facts, but the abundance of truth and love inside this great text is getting lost. This is why Pastor David feels it's necessary to take some time to work through the Bible in this series, and we're so glad you've joined us here on The Open Word for it. Each time you tune in, Pastor David will be giving you an accurate and succinct dialogue of a book of Scripture, pointing out the key passages and truths that everyone needs to be aware of. If you missed any part of today's message or any part of this series, we encourage you to visit our website. You'll be able to listen again at theopenword.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, and please feel free to share these teachings with your friends and family. Everyone can benefit from this Through the Bible series. Are you in the Casa Grande area? If so, Pastor David has an invitation to extend to you. Every message you hear on The Open Word is one that I shared here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, a great church where I enjoy my role as senior pastor. I'd love to see your face next time I get up to teach, and I'd really enjoy meeting you afterward please consider coming on out and joining us this weekend. You'll be able to find all the information you need at theopenword.com. Just click the Calvary Chapel link at the bottom of the page. See you there. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all for today. But join us next time to continue through the Bible here on The Open Word.